Shorter and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 67. Um, this is the second part in um, a three-part series um, where we look at AUP New Poets 5, um, which is a fantastic um, series which has introduced um, several amazing New Zealand voices in poetry. Um, it was launched in 1999 and recently has just been relaunched under the editorship of Anna Jackson um, and AUP New Poets 5 um, includes a great selection of poetry from Carolyn DiCarlo, Sophie Van Wardenberg and Rebecca Hawkes. So this part of our series is my conversation with Rebecca Hawkes um, whose section in AUP New Poets 5 is called Softcore Cold Sore and we talk a little bit about that name during our conversation. Um, I asked Rebecca to choose one of her poems and one by another poet as a starting point for our conversation. Rebecca chose her poem The Flexitarian which she read at the launch of AUP New Poets 5 and Craig Arnold's poem Very Large Moth um, which appears um, on the Poetry Foundation website. So you could Google it and read it um, as we talk. Um, this um, episode was recorded um, next to some noise. Um, there is some beautiful music in the background, which um, adds to, um, it sort of gives us a rather odd um, tonal dissonance, I guess is the right word. And there's also um, some sort of, low noise in the background as well which um, sounds like a spaceship so if you can imagine us sitting in a spaceship listening to some music um, that will probably make you happy anyway I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Hawkes um, she's an amazing poet and it was really enjoyable to talk to her thanks heaps for listening hi Rebecca Hi Pip. Um, we've got a little bit of background music which is quite nice. It's sort of, it's very dramatic. Yeah, yeah. There's a, is there a music exam happening next door which we might be disrupting? Yeah, um, so we better not scream yeah. or sing. It'd be yeah. very hard to play. It's a shame. Piano. I was planning to scream and sing oh, all of these poems. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so yes, well thank you for coming to scream and read the poems. Um, we are going to talk about two poems today. And I think that you thought that it would be good to deal with the one that is not yours first. Is that? Do you think that's a good way to go? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think because they lead quite nicely into each other. So um, we are going to be reading a poem called Very Large Moth by Craig Arnold. And do you mind reading it? Oh, no, I'm very happy to. That would be good. Happy to. Yeah, this is a poem that, that I love very much. Very Large Moth by Craig Arnold. Your first thought when the light snaps on and the black wings clatter about the kitchen is a bat. The clear part of your mind considers rabies. The other part does not consider, knows only to startle and cower away from the slap of its wings, though it is soon clearly not a bat but a moth and harmless. Still, you are shy of it. It clings to the hood of the stove, not black but brown. Its eyes, orange, sparkle like televisions. Its leg joints are large enough to count. How could you kill it? Where would you hide the body? A creature so solid must have room for a soul. And if this is so, why not in a creature half its size or half its size again? And so on, down to the ants. 
Clearly, it must be saved. Caught in a shopping bag and rushed to the front door, afraid to crush it, feeling the plastic rattle loosened into the night air, it batters the porch light, throwing fitful shadows around the landing. That was a really big moth, is all you can say to the doorman, who has watched your whole performance with a smile. The half-compassion and half-horror we feel for the creatures we want not to hurt and prefer not to touch. Thank you so much. Um, I love this poem now. Thank you so much for <laughs> letting me read it and recommending it. And I'm just wondering, um, Craig Arnold is a new poet to me, and I just wondered when you first read about him or heard about him or... Yeah. Um, so... I, fir- I first read Craig Arnold's work as a, as a teenager, I would have been, I think about 14 or 15, um, and in possession of a Scorpio Books voucher in Christchurch. Um, and there weren't any Mary Oliver books that I wanted um, <laughs> at the time um, <laughs> in the shop. And so I picked up this book called Made Flesh, which is Craig's, um, I think, his second book. And... and Craig Arnold died, I think, in his late 20s or early 30s while on trekking on volcanoes in Japan for poetic research, which just seems like a really appropriate poetic death. Um, Honestly, I don't really know that much else about him. He's an American writer who won a lot of awards at a very young age um, and then uh, stopped winning them due to being dead. Um, And this poem... Um, is online. It's it's on the Poetry Foundation website, um, along with several of his others. When I was just seeking out more of his work, and I just something about it has really stuck with me for quite a long time. I guess about a decade now. Um, I just keep coming back to it. So when you were in that bookshop, did you open it, and was there something about it that excited you, or? Yeah, there's this there's this sequence in the in the book about this sort of consensual relationship between a woman and an incubus who possesses her body and, you know, wanders around doing stuff. I actually think you would love that poem yes, also. Yes, I'm already really, loving it. It's a great, it's a, like this sort of, <laughs> yeah, like consensual body snatching um, thing. You know thing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a really, and it's, his poems are quite, I suppose, romantic um, in a lot of, ways he's got you know another beautiful poem called the bird understander about you know a a loved one in an airport who's upset about a bird trapped in the airport and he's um I don't know they're both like really tender um but really attached to I don't know like worldly awkwardnesses in a really interesting way um yeah I love that idea of worldly awkwardnesses that's such, yeah, oh my gosh, that's an amazing way to put it. Um, I was wondering if we could start as a bit of a weigh-in, if we could talk a little bit about the you in this poem. Um, I guess I'm interested in how you use the you as well mm-hmm. in your poetry, but I just mean in this poem, like it's your first thought, it's not my first thought, it's not his first thought, it's not her first thought. And then um, the you returns to say to the doorman, you know, that was a really big moth. And I'm just wondering, how do you think the you operates in this poem? Um, yeah, it's inter- It's definitely that kind of second person addressing the reader as though these are the reader's own thoughts. And I think, you know, um, I certainly have 
friends who might not like this poem because they're really irritated right away by people telling them what they're thinking mm. the whole time, what they're doing in the, the poem. Um, and I suppose I often, I often write to or from a you character, which is often both like a, a person being addressed um, so as though the reader is sort of another character, often, you know, like a lover or um, just someone else. Or, But at the same time, often at the same, in asking this person to inhabit the poem, to be part of the poem. And I guess in this, in this poem, I'd sort of forgotten about the way it, it asks you to philosophise about, you know, which creatures have souls and things, which is also something that some people might find, oh yeah, a little much but I really just love it like why not why not instruct a reader to ask those capital B big questions mm. Um, mm. and um, mo- moving to the uh, moth the <laughs> um, I was really surprised at what this poem does with scale like the minute that it suggests that this thing might be a bat it's very hard to shrink it back to a moth sized and you know it has these orange eyes that sparkle and it feels like it's both you know it's literal and figurative at the same time like the size of the moth is big enough to have a soul but also possibly it is a magically big moth I don't know Mm. could you talk a little bit about that yeah I really I think it's part of the function of of a poem really especially one of this sort of size where there's that sparseness in it that means that any particular thing you focus on becomes just magnified um so poems are a really good way i think to make things really big just because you're looking closely at them um yeah i suppose that that sense of it being supernaturally large is also that that intensity that you have when something is around that you're responding to in a really intense sort of affective way and like that kind of your whole body is focused around this creature that's that's in the room that you're just profoundly sort of disturbed by even at the same time as it's really not that big of a deal like you do have the de-escalation from the bat to Mm. the the moth and then to the doorman who's kind of appears right at the end of the poem having watched part of this whole rumpus um (laughs) to Again, really, it's not a big deal. To, and, and I think that's... I, it's things like I've had issues in a flat with, with Weta, um getting in to this, through a second-story window and climbing into my spare duvet. Um, and Weta are quite, you know, tree Weta, beautiful, sort of gentle creatures. Um, but the, the intensity of the, the act of going in there, handling this very small, like, two inches of spiky brown legs um, to get it outside is such that, that fixation of, like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Or that, like, you know, when you have a, a spider on you that you were not expecting and it just totally takes up all of your sensory capacity. Because um, yeah. it also reminds me of that idea of... Sometimes I think of the uncanny can often be things where they shouldn't be. Yeah, you know, do you reckon? I don't know. That that makes sense. Yeah, that's and the the uncanny valley 
yeah. thing with the, when you're looking at sort of a humanoid robot or something, right, where you've got, or bad animation where there's just something off about something that's often quite normal or expected. You know what it's supposed to look like or where it's supposed to be. And yeah, like the, the very large moth would not be worthy of an entire poem if it was just outside throwing itself at street lamps. Mm, mm. It's just because it's indoors and you're shut in a room with it. <laughs> Having oh. to contemplate its soul. <laughs> I'm starting to feel it on my skin as we sort of talk about it. Um, can we talk a bit about how the poem looks on the page? Um, so you referred a little bit to this idea of sparseness. Well, I don't think you said sparseness, but there's space in it. Um, literally, some of the lines, like if we look at that first, uh, second line, it says, clatter about the kitchen, and then there's a gap. I We used to call that... I think we used to call that like a seizure or something when I did English, mm. and then as a bat. So throughout there are these sort of spaces made that are possibly one word long, maybe, yeah, one word long. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Like, is it about a rhythm or is it about a visual kind of thing? Or what do you, what do you reckon? Oh, man. I think it, I think it might be a seizure. That's the things. word. Yeah, That's the word. <laughs> but I just call it slamming the tab key because I'm so. This is something that I do <laughs> quite a bit. As well. <laughs> I'm just such a fan of of tabs and poems, which I'm sure is a nightmare for anyone who ever wants to publish them, um, <laughs> having to format it. Um, but I think I I really like sort of the so this is also an unpunctuated poem. Um, that has the odd capital letter to suggest a, the start of a sentence, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's just spaced by those gaps, which are kind of both a, a breath, a light pause, sometimes it's the start of a new sentence or a new thought, or sometimes between one set of words and then the space and the next set is something that kind of disrupts them. So it's, it's less than a line break. Um, but also the line breaks themselves don't necessarily do a lot more than the gaps are doing mm. to, to set up those upturnings. And, and I also think it just looks mm. beautiful on the page um, and it's just pleasing. Mm. I totally agree. I totally agree. Like I really also like the way often, like you, there are two lines together, which I guess we can call a couplet. I don't mm. know. Um, and yeah, there's sort of, that someone has also uh, slammed the tab key um, <laughs> to um, bring the second line further over as well. And it does, it definitely, um, I don't know, it's disruptive, I suppose, isn't it? A little bit. I don't mm. know. But yeah, I totally agree. Like there's something about the white space in it that, again, that thing you were talking about helps me sort of hone in on... Do you know what I mean? Like um, that thing you talked about, like when you look at something that's small up close, it becomes big. And yeah, I, I think there's something really great going on there. Yeah, and I really like the kind of movement that you get going slightly back and forth mm. on the page as you read down. I don't know, it's like a very pleasing water feature. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought of that. And I guess your eyes are doing a bit more work as well, eh? Mm. Like you're sort of, yeah. But it's hard to say because I do read so much poetry that's that's like this in some ways. So I'm not I'm not sure what coming to it cold mm. Mm. is like mm. either. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very exciting thing to do. Um, mm. I there is this line finishes. 
for the phrase, I'm going to make a thesis statement. I feel like I've been um, examining you for like uh, stage one English or something. I'm really, I didn't, that was well, not I got, my I intent. I got Sejura, so we're good. <laughs> you win. You, you totally got it. Um, yeah, I didn't mean that to be the effect, but I just wanted to ask some questions about this poem, which I love. Um, there is a phrase at the end which says, the half compassion and half horror we feel for the creatures we want not to hurt and prefer not to touch. And I was thinking, having read this poem and then reread your poems that are in um, the book, that's not a bad, well, you may think it's a bad introduction, <laughs> but it's not a bad way to think about your work, this idea of the creatures that we want to not hurt but also would prefer not to touch, like that, that weird kind of... Um, push me pull you kind of thing of love and mm. um, sensation and um, desire I don't know have you got any thoughts on that or is it a dumb idea I totally really, I really love idea. that mostly because I, I just I think it's so killer that half compassion and half horror we feel for the creatures we want not to hurt and prefer not to touch and I feel like I've been trying to achieve this sort of thing in my poems for you know for quite some time as well like this is a poem that that I've had humming away in the background for a, a long time. Um, yeah, that half compassion and half horror idea is is interesting. I think thinking about my poems, because that's sort of how I look at myself, the person who wrote all those poems, seeing them in the book all together at once. Mm, um, mm. Because I've sort of fired them out to journals over the past five years. Um, and a lot of them have been published in other places before, but it's kind of one at a time. And lining them all up together, I was like, who is this, you know, like obsessive, lusty, goblin creature? <laughs> and what am I going to do when uh, colleagues and family members uh, read this book? <laughs> <laughs> because the, the, uh, the, the, a lot of the, the poems come from places of of a, obsession or sort of tortured curiosity that's both mixed with repulsion a little bit at the same time for a lot of things and I, I mean I write a lot about about creatures and I'm sort of increasingly in my writing now interested in the creature within the, the person in, in some ways or um there are, there's, a, there's a poem in the book about a child who's a, a werewolf. Um, and I think that sense, that was something that I was very, this is a bit of a tangent, um, obsessed with and have been thinking a lot about lately, I suppose, in, now that I have this corporate office job, um, about how when I was a child, I really was extremely convinced that I was a shape-shifting creature of the night um, and, and very very sincerely I find it difficult to talk about that without sort of making fun of it but I have just read many 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 fantasy novels and um, was living on this on this farm where I could roam through the bush at my leisure um, and have always I think been obsessed with this sense of wildness, of creatureness that exists within people um, and the extent to which you let it out or don't and the extent to which you're maybe excited or 
disgusted by that and so and a lot of the poems deal with sort of with urges um, and have kind of an urgency to them that is almost a bit embarrassing to me now having them out all at once even though I'm that's totally you know mm. my project that's where I, I process all of this kind of um, like you know repressed like desirous sort of diva-ness <laughs> in some ways yeah and it is I think that's what I did like this I'm I'm just talking about myself but I know that that embarrassment and for me it sits very closely to shame you know Mm. like I I, you know it's interesting hearing you say that because I have always responded to your poems quite um, it's been quite a body response and I think Mm. that hearing you say that about you know I I also thought um, that there was something monstrous in me and, and you know, was, was quite convinced, not in a, you know, any kind of figurative sense. I mm. literally thought, um, yeah, there was something about me. And, um, yeah, I think that often when I read something and I feel that uneasiness, I, I think now I think I've taught myself to think, oh, I succeeded. You know, like, I mean, you know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that, that feeling of shame or just thinking, well, for me it's shame, but it's probably closer to embarrassment. You know, I do think that's good, you know, that feels active and alive with that kind of, yeah, that, yeah. that friction or something in it. Yeah, and I think it's true, like, embarrassment is more intellectual. I think shame is really what I'm talking about, that kind of, like, oh, and, the, and monstrousness as well is so perfect, because I think there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with monsters. Like, we, we love a good monster. It's extremely demonstrable through most of our sort of society and art. Um... And I think finding a, a place where tapping into monstrousness is rewarded um, has been extremely important to me. Like that's that's a big part of, I guess, writing poetry for me in, in some ways. Um, yeah, it kind of plays into something you've said to me before as well about, about the poems, about them being kind of, you know, sexy but also quite gross, mm, mm. I think, in, in some oh, ways. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, this is the thing that I keep responding to them. Um, like, um, yeah, like, I mean, when we look at something like Flexitarian, which I might get you to read in a moment, but I don't want to stop our conversation because mm-hmm. it's so great. Um, but, like... Um, I have to brace myself. I've heard you read it a few times and I've read it myself a few times and it's Dairy Queen as well because I think the first time I heard you read that I said, could you please send me that poem? You know, because there's something about it that just, it's, it hits me in a very good place between, like I was trying to, I wasn't completely happy with that word gross so I started looking it up and, you know, there are aberrant seems like a good word as well. You know, that idea where it's outside of what we might consider normal mm. or, you know, there's, there's just such a great, I don't know, I, I love it. Like, I am there for it. And I just, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to read Flexitarian? And then we sort of have something concrete that I can start yeah. raving about rather than raving in an abstract way. Yeah, and it's interesting actually, like, bringing up that sort of sense of shame as well because there's a lot of that in this in this poem. But I think not, you know, ex- explicitly I'm not mm. really going self-flagellating because that's <laughs> no fun, you know. Uh, this is the Flexitarian I am trying to go vegetarian, but finding myself week to week browsing the meat aisle at a linger close enough to chill my arms to goose flesh. I only buy stuff so processed it hardly makes sense to call it meat. Savaloy, nugget, 
continental frankfurter, whatever gets extruded pink beyond possible memory of the preceding body. Between the red and yellow flags delineating the pork section, I fondle sheets of pigskin through their cling film. Flaps of fat and dermis, bloodless as the nude silicone on a sex doll. Sad rubber reanimates in the oven. The fat whimpers then melts to breathless squeal. The grill huffs, fogs my glasses like hot breath. Like kissing someone else's lover right outside her flat in winter. Sometimes the pig has not been properly shaved. Needle hairs prick my lips. Sometimes draw blood. Sometimes red. Ink from the slaughterhouse is printed on the sallow skin. Lipstick. Damp napkin. The worst possible outcome. Unfurling the limpid rind from its plastic tray, only to find a nipple tucked inside. I try to cut it out, but no knife in my house is sharp enough. The nipple stares a pert pink accusation. It follows me around the room. I score the skin, rub it raw with salt and rapeseed oil. The nipple winks at me, weeps in the pan as it shrinks to helpless hiss and spit. The crackling bubbles perfectly crisp. Blisters where I burn my tongue on it. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm starting to um, get like this Pavlovian response now. <laughs> Every time I hear the title, I start to sort of... You know, um, I just, I love that poem so much. Like, it and Dairy Queen, you know, sit similarly in my mm. head. But, um, and I love what you've done with the, you know, your section of new poems is just so great. Um, I wonder if a good place to start about this, I mean, what I love is that it seems to be a place where repulsion and desire sit or something you know what I mean there's something mm. really great about that and I just at the launch you said this fantastic thing about the title of your section like your section is called soft course cold sore yeah and yeah I just let's talk a little bit about it let's unpack it a little bit um yeah any thoughts I would love to know what I said yeah. at the launch Actually, <laughs> I just think I think that actually I owe it to you the idea of sexy and gross put together because I think you may have even said oh. that softcore and cold sore, you know, like and there's just something I just feel like that title is such a perfect way to think about your work those two things together and yeah, um, I don't know I just I just think it's fantastic. Can you remember anything about writing that poem? Um, the poem? Yeah, flexitarian. Um, yeah, so I wrote it um, shortly after reading Jonathan Safran Foer's Eating Animals, mm -hmm. which was recommended to me by a more steadfastly vegetarian <laughs> friend, um, Esther Pity, and it had a pretty profound effect on me, and um, so I decided that I was going to try and be... And it's the kind of thing, you know, you have this ambient sense... Um, I think these days it's very hard to escape the fact that it is actually it's 
it's just better to be vegetarian, you know, for the for the planet ethically. If it's just it's the right thing to do. Um, but it's also quite difficult, and especially for me, there's been a lot of deprogramming to get to that point. Considering that I, you know, grew up on a sheep and beef farm, I'm extremely comfortable with animal death, um, and you know, like a, you know, it's it's just it's been a part of my life. Like I grew up with a concrete bunker 200 meters away from the house called the Killing Shed, mm. so you kind of. You know, it's really, it really sets you up to be comfortable because everything is normal as a child. Um, and my sort of, and I'm very good at setting ethical goals for myself that I then will work tirelessly to find loopholes around. Um, oh, I really <laughs> relate. relate. <laughs> and so the loophole for me was. Yeah, bulk buying like chicken nuggets and, mm. and frankfurters and um, things where which are by no means any better than eating a, a free range you know lamb shank or something. But yeah, so there was that kind of complexity and obviously there's some other stuff in the in the poem as well about relationships and you know not doing ethical best practice. Um, that I think comes into I, obviously that there was a relationship between those subjects and I merged them in the poem mm. um, which I, and I also just think it's really funny mm. like I think that and I think this this ad, admission of my inability to be the good person that I thought I was um, or would have liked to think I was um, was you know not I'm not going to say empowering but it's really nice just saying the poem title of the flexitarian and if people don't ask if people if people don't laugh then then they do when I say I am trying to go vegetarian um so it's something that has has got quite a nice response mm. you know mm. as well when I have performed it at readings and that kind of thing and I think it's that great thing as well because there's a bit of humor in there that is the discomfort as well you know like I um after your launch I went home because I realized I hadn't read it to my kid and um partner and I was like god god <laughs> and like I read it and oh. everybody was doing the whole squirmy laughy thing and I just think I just love it for that you know like I think it's just such a great way to look at it one of the things I was thinking about like with this idea of the elements that are um I don't know how, I don't even, I don't have a word for them. Let's use the word gross. We mm. used that before, we'll use it again. Um, sometimes it feels to me like this intense seeing, you know, observing, you know, um, sort of telling things like they are in a way that we ignore, you know what I mean? In that way that we sort of do look at meat and think, this does not come from a cute sheep, you know. And mm. I just wonder, is there any of that there? You know, like your observation is outstanding. Oh. And I feel like you notice things that I haven't seen noticed before. And do you have any thoughts on that? Like, do you, do you see yourself as that or is that just a silly... I'm just extremely just going to sit in that moment where I take the compliment. Oh, that was nice. a really nice thing to say. <laughs> um, it's all true. <laughs> well, um, it's hard to say because I notice the things I notice and mm. I write mm. about the things that are concerning me or have, have caught my... Um, attention I suppose I, I suppose what what is it specifically that 
that you're I'm thinking particularly like I guess you know and this is where I need to come clean as a vegan I guess um but you know like I I you know Dairy Queen the thought of the um cows that have mastitis and you know like there Mm. just seems to be a noticing of things that perhaps we don't want to see you know and um I'm just thinking even with the werewolf um you know the werewolf poem seems to be about making ourselves not werewolves in a way Mm. you know like there's that fantastic shaving scene and stuff like that and yeah I don't know it may not be a concern of yours it may not be yeah yeah well I think it is I do like detail and it's interesting you mentioned the mastitis part from Dairy Queen because one of the things that I always found most touching when I was when I was um milking um on on a dairy farm for the neighbors which was my summer job for several years um is yeah the, it, I, I find it difficult sometimes you know like being from a, a farming upbringing mm-hmm. um and I think a, a lot of people I guess especially in Wellington where there's you know certain set of political dispositions don't necessarily have hands-on experience mm-hmm. and the the with with milking and the, and the cows with mastitis like it was always really touching to me the the care that's taken with these with these cows that are in you know immense discomfort um who really you know need to be milked um because you can't just leave them to inflate it's not really how it works um and you have to do it at the end because you do you don't want the pipes and everything to be contaminated when you're um and when you're putting the suction cups on the and subsequent cows and it all gets cleaned out after each um, after each session uh, but yeah like I, I suppose it is it is gross and I suppose it's not the kind of thing you necessarily see in a lot of poems mm. either um, but what yeah. I love about it is you then put you know like I don't know sorry I'm, I'm sure yeah, this is more about psychoanalyzing me than anything else but you know there's that thing that when you see the word nipple more and more <laughs> you think it's about sex you know like that's mm. how you know we have billboards and it's like oh you know wow you know and it, we've been programmed in this titillating way oh I made a pun um, but yes. you know we've been programmed <laughs> in this way to see nipples as sex objects and mm. then well I don't know maybe that's being over judgmental and old-fashioned but and then what I love is the way that all of these things can sit together in your poetry you know like there's yeah. there's quite a sensual part you know uh, to some of the you know it, I think in Dairy Queen Dairy Queen yeah like it's very sex, sex in the dairy shed yeah kind sex of in the dairy thing. shed and then the nipples you know the, the cow artists aren't even a part of it yeah, yeah. the action but I suppose it's like there yeah um and I think the the interesting thing about the the pig nipple of my pork crackling, which is a thing that really did happen, um, and you know you know the pig skin is this sort of peachy, you know, colour like Caucasian flesh, um, mm. and pig the pig nipple was quite human looking, like mm. I presume mm. it was from a, a male pig. Um, not that it necessarily matters, you know, it was it was freed, it was in my kitchen, and it was a massive disconcerting moment, just because one does not tend to see nipples around, let alone on, yeah. on your food. Yeah. Um, and especially, like, I didn't go into the humanoidness of it in the 
poem because um, I didn't. I felt like it might have been overkill, to be honest. Like the true story sometimes sounds less real than the yeah. Like yeah. I mean, the, the true elements of it. Because that's what I was thinking as well. Like in um, there's that wonderful bit where we go from the kiss to the bristle of. Um, hair that's left that pricks the lip you know like mm. there's just this and I guess that what is what brings me back to the very large moth is that this this sort of scale thing that you mm. do where you look up close and that's all you can see and then you get this broad plane and yeah it's just it's just fantastic I love it oh thank you I, I really <laughs> really love it um I was going to ask about the idea of producing like a book length work like th- this is this is work that has appeared in other places and you've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about the intensity of that I'm wondering how flexitarian sits in amongst you know some of um there's a poem at the end which is called it's the best title ever um every machine is a smoke machine if you use it wrong is that right um I think any machine can be a smoke machine if you use it wrong enough. Yeah. yeah. So like some of those poems at the end um, sort of hit quite almost classical, you know, that's got Circe in it and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I just wonder where does, like, how did you order them? Like mm-hmm. how did you decide or did you have help from Anna or, yeah, like. Um, Anna gave me pretty free reign for the most part, which was good, but we did meet up to talk about it. And especially because I, I had more poems than this, but finding out which ones to cut was mm. the, the hard thing because mm. I just wanted to be like take them all yes world <laughs> yes <laughs> here they are um so it sort of goes the trajectory of the order has kind of gone from you know Dairy Queen and the Flexitarian are quite near the start and there's kind of every day and they're all quite they're all sort of sexy poems with a you in them and a sort of desire Thing. And I think over the, the course of the, the series of poems, they maybe get a bit grander. I had to have all of the, the mythological poems together. Mm-hmm. And I think they ended up near the end because there just wasn't a, a natural place to put them in the middle. So you kind of go from the werewolf um, through to some annihilation um, poems. And then into the Circe smoke machine poem. And then it ends on this really long poem about a, a golem. Um, That's so, so good. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and it's one of my it's one of my favourites to read, but it's so long, so I never do. <laughs> you can just, <laughs> just read it at home. Yeah, just to myself. <laughs> to myself. Out loud. In my room. Out loud. Oh yeah. Um there um there is one poem I just wanted to ask a little bit about mm-hmm. just because we're talking about food and stuff. There's a poem which I think is called Barbecue Mirage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like what, it, it seems to take this place where it is almost like the bridging poem between the desire poems and then I think we're, we're very close to where the mythical poems start. And I don't know, is that a new poem or is it an older poem? It is, it is actually really new and newer than a lot of them. Like the mythological poems for the most part are some of the older ones in the book and that's why it's interesting to see. Well, I think, I think probably... Any machine can be a smoke machine, and the very first one, um, Primal Scream Practice, are the, are the oldest ones. Oh, wow. um, yeah, just as it's turned out. But Barbecue Mirage I wrote um, on New Year's Day last year, 
and I, I just sort of got into my head that I would really like to write a Kiwiana Christmas poem, um, <laughs> which is only which I Rebecca Hall could. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's got a pavlova, it's got Pahutakawa in it. What more How do you would want you from feel me? about reading it? Yeah, but you don't really have to. to. I would love I to just, hear it. Just okay, I'm, you know I've got the microphone, like I can ask. Just want to. I will read whatever you would like. Um, barbecue Mirage. The national meringue sweats under its cling film, pavlova leaking beads of honey like my cracked lips, where the cold sore crust has split and weeps me salted syrup. The afternoon pulses with perhaps a headache glitters in my lobes. I water it down with a dose of sparkling salve, pour one out for the baby who today belongs to. Covertly bunch my dress into my underwire and mop up the underboob humidity. We're approaching peak Pahutakawa. Massed stamens bristle for a tickle of bees, flaring their festive threads in carnadine. You must be thirsty. You're looking at me across the laden trestle table as though I am a cup that never empties. All my relatives keep saying my life is going to change. They nod seriously to demonstrate their depth of sympathy. When you thud down your spent beer bottle, the table bows like a donkey kneeling towards me, delivering the pav into my lap. Its gentle soak of sweet cream creeps up my thigh and makes my skirt go see-through. I love that poem so much. Like, I just, um, that's another one that often makes me laugh as well. I don't know why. I just, yeah, like, I just, I just love it. Like, it just feels so, I mean, it's so time for that poem. I feel like the poem's time. We're changing the classic Kiwi Christmas, everyone. We'll never look at Pavlova again. We'll never look at it again. Can I ask one question that I didn't write on our list of questions, so it's totally cool to say no. Um, I first met you as an essay writer. Like, obviously, I'd seen the work in Starling. Like, you know, I, I, I had read the work in Starling, but then, um, yeah, I read some amazing essays by you. Or you read them out, or somehow I saw them. And I'm just wondering, do you still dabble in the essay as a form? Or, do you, like, I mean, what's it like to have... You know, I mean, does the essay feed poetry or does poetry feed the essay or are they separate things or...? I think they're pretty closely related, especially for me. Like, I've always... I've, I was a poet first, long before I was considered myself a creative essayist. Like, I just, I did a creative non-fiction course with Harry Ricketts, which I got into in undergrad, having submitted only poems in my application. I think I was waitlisted before I got in, to be fair. Um, but I just went, well, these are real enough. Uh, so why not? And um, yeah, and I really loved it. And then I did a, a science writing course with um, with Ashley Young and Rebecca Priestley. Um, and then the, the next year I applied to do the Masters at the IML in non-fiction writing and got a scholarship to do it so really then had to <laughs> it was, which was which was extremely nice you know it was a privilege and um and I'd had this idea that I was going to combine my academic interests um with my creative writing and write you know a definitive book on 
uh, men shouting at women on the internet um, because I'd been very interested in um, you know Gamergate and a lot of mm. a lot of online stuff um, at the time where there were you know these sort of culture wars around social justice and gender and many other things um, and of course shortly after starting the masters discovered that I at what was I 20 years old I wasn't going to solve that problem <laughs> and after looking at it. <laughs> In depth for a couple of weeks I was already extremely depressed and so I ended up just writing about about other stuff and there's a lot like both of my parents are a scientist which should have maybe been a part of my earlier answer to things like both my mum and dad they're geologists so we're always stopping and picking up rocks mm. Um, mm. And, <laughs> and understanding how they're made and I think like you know my parents curiosity about the world is so important to my interests and in, in things and so I just started taking an interest in in different things and I wrote about a lot of stuff in the masters and I you know I dredged up an enormous amount of memoir about my <laughs> my bad decisions as a teenager which <laughs> will hopefully never see the light of day so um so I feel like after that sort of nine month period of very intensively writing essays about anything and everything, which would have been around when I met mm, you. Yeah. Um, ever since I've only written lyric poems. Mm. So, so I'm not sure what that really means. And part of it, I think, is to do with, like, like I can, kept studying for a while, and then I am, um, and now I have a, a job which requires a lot of writing, and obviously being employed takes time. Um, and I suppose I wrote a couple of academic articles um, as well, so that also took up a lot of that space. Whereas poetry, I think, is is a lot more manageable to fit in the cracks of life, and you can just pick on a couple of things and magnify them, and suddenly you've got a, a poem, whereas I feel like for essays I'd need to be more rigorous. But it's definitely the same mode, and I do, you know, as I am now, I do tend to go on. I'm <laughs> a very wordy a chatterbox kind of person um, and I find the essay a really good way to express a lot of things but I, in some ways I think my poems are better because even though I can still be quite verbose um, there's a little bit more of a limit or a to the pointness that's interesting going back and looking at my master's work now which is just so long-winded and I, I love language and I love to talk and I love to tell you things that I think are interesting or, or even you know it's talking to myself um, tell myself things uh, in a way that I think is you know beautiful and opulent. Um, I, I've just got two more questions this I, I never know how to ask this because it seems like a really cliched question but you paint as well and you make art you make you make you make everything you know, <laughs> like you're, you're a genius um, and I guess people always ask but I'm always interested about the balance of those two things like and I, I'm gonna ask it this way because it's the only way I know how to ask it but it's very boring to ask it this way how do you know something's a painting and how do you know that it's a poem like if you know what I mean, like if you get an idea, is it is it just so logical that you couldn't explain? Maybe. Yeah, it's a really interesting question that I haven't been asked before, oh, actually. Oh, so that's I'm really. Like, <laughs> that's not um, I think it's like I certainly have a lot of the same interests in my uh, poetry, in my painting, 
especially. Um, I am an oil painter, so finding the time mm, to yeah. to do that, especially at the moment, is, is pretty rough. Um, and again, poetry is, is a lot more time efficient mm, um, yeah. and also a lot more social mm. in some ways. Just, I, you know, being lucky to be in, in Wellington and having over time met a lot of people who are writers and, you know, having friends um, and having events is extremely good um yeah the I think I'm quite a visual writer um like I do tend to fix on on images and it's something that I've been thinking about um with that I'm sure eventually I'll have some kind of you know quarter life crisis and decide that I have a novel inside me that just needs to come out but I really don't think I've got any mastery of plot I think I'm just I just do sort of collages and and the way I paint and the way I write are often but it's just the sort of layering of often quite static images does that make sense and um but but they are also quite separate like I haven't thought like my dream ultimately I think for a an ideal book would be to to have a, a book of poems that's also a book of paintings um, I just need a, a publisher who is willing to budget to have some glossy colour plates. Oh, I just <laughs> A-U-P. wanna. Because I think that I think they're complementary forms, and I don't have them together very often yeah. either. Just just thinking about it now, unless you're coming to hang out in my bedroom, come studio, um, in my flat. Uh, but it's not it's not very tidy so it's not an effective gallery space yeah because that's oh. what I think there is a really it's it's really it's been interesting for me revisiting your poems after seeing your art you know what I mean mm. like I think that it is it's something really I'm really glad that both exist in the world the the last question I want to ask you is real dumb as well I just asked that <laughs> questions it's my job um you play video games this is right. Yeah. This is correct. This is correct. For my sins. And I'm just wondering, you were talking about narrative, you know, this idea, um, I'm not sure which video games you play, um, but I'm just wondering about a mind shaped by being allowed to control narrative, you know, a mind mm. shaped by being interact, you know, completely interactive with a, a piece of art. Do you have any thoughts about how that might have affected your writing? When I was doing this... Um, non-fiction master's degree um, at the IML. I became really fascinated by digital storytelling mm. um, and different ways of, of doing that. And uh, for various reasons of, of the time I had left to, to complete a thesis and also technical ineptitude, um, I didn't myself get too deeply into playing with this, especially this technology called Twine, um, which is a platform where you just create, it's, you know, like a choose-your-own-adventure story. It's pretty simplistic. Um, but the games of um, this artist called Porpentine Charity Heartscape, um, and there's a really fun one to start with called Vesp, um, a history of sapphic scaphism, which is about oh, this, you know, like it's... Oh, it's so sexy and so gross, this, like, sort of cyberpunk world with this sinister wasp queen and this latex clad sort of genderqueer protagonist um oh it's so good um 
and that kind of thing. And this is quite, you know, old. It's, tw- it's 2016, um, which is old in internet yeah, terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I find that mode so fascinating. And actually, that's really makes me want to go back and play with it mm. now, actually. Um, but yeah, like the ways that we can tell stories or the way we're used to reading stories. I think it's a challenge for for the novel or for the, the book of poems and things. And I think poems have it easier because they can be readily disseminated online. Mm. Like mm. I love mm. an online journal. I have so many tabs open at any given time. Um, but that sort of, sort of attention deficit mode of receiving storytelling and, and information is also different to and sustained I, reading. And I was just thinking, this is I've just had this thought now, so I probably won't stand by it in a week's time, <laughs> but I guess poetry allows you to be a lot more interactive in some ways than a novel, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, you know, often things are left so open that I can, it can be my, I don't have a doorman, but it can mm. be my very large moth and my, do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. feels, there's, a, there's an interesting, I feel like poetry feels more aligned with games than maybe the no, the linear novel or, yeah, mm. no. Yeah, I think that sense of linearness, and you definitely with games there, there are variations of how linear the storytelling mm. might be, but at the same time, you're totally right, like, you, and not a... A poem can ask both more and less of you than yes. a novel yeah. in a yeah. lot of ways. But yeah. at the same like, and people do still read novels, it's not like... I've heard. I've heard, <laughs> I hear. Um, so it's... it's Yeah, it's, it's, it's always difficult as well, I think, to make big generalisations about how people's reading and things has, has changed. But I know that I definitely read... I read New Zealand novels because I'm you know I'm interested and I'm passionate about the community as much as anything it's you know being like a part of of things um but otherwise I largely read online and Mm. poems Mm. online so I totally relate and like you say like it's hard to generalize because it just feels like everyone is it's just so great you know like there's a way of doing it for every personality Mm. I'm gonna say thank you very much and I'm so grateful for your time. I particularly like the bit where they started playing the Pink Panther theme song. <laughs> Did you hear that? I actually didn't. I kind of tuned oh, them oh. out. Um, yeah, but I, I maybe because I've got headphones on. But yeah, they started playing um, the Pink Panther theme. And I thought, this might be our theme. I think, you know, for this podcast. Oh, amazing. The way they go. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Pat.